On this episode, I'm in conversation with Dr. Athenya Via Viaraj. Welcome to the QI Guy Conversation with Podcast. I'm your host and personal improvement advisor, as always, Jonathan O'Reilly. Thanks very much for joining me, guys, for episode number eight. Um, we've got a fantastic conversation coming up with Athenya Via Viraj, who is a um, physician based in Derry in Northern Ireland. And I, I got in contact um, with Athenia through the Flow Coaching Academy um, that, that she took part in in Sheffield. And this very much kind of builds on that earlier episode I had with Tom Downs and, and Steve Harrison, who described in, in, in detail and with some great passion um, what the Flow Coaching Academy was all about and, and what it can allow you to do. So Athenia, we kind of dive into the the practical elements of that. Athenia is also a, a Scottish Quality and Safety Fellow as well. So she's really well-rounded in terms of her, her education around QI. So before we get to that um, conversation, I want to let you know um, about a couple of things. Remind you again that we're going to be having that hashtag QI meetup on the 8th of September. So if you haven't and you want to take part, send your um, email address. Um, you can DM me on the Twitter at the QI underscore guy. Um, we're very much looking forward to that in a couple of weeks time having our first session. The other um, piece of uh, news, I suppose, uh, to give you is... Um, those of you that know me will know I'm always thinking, I'm always tinkering, I'm always trying to improve and refine things. And when we started this podcast, it was dropping monthly. Um, the feedback was so um, so great early on and the willingness for people to come on um, and, and have a conversation with me was so great that we decided to move that to um, every two weeks. And what I've now decided to do is... Um, do the episodes in seasons. How very American of me. But we're going to do it in seasons and have a little break in between. Um, and that's to let you catch your breath and, and, and perhaps reflect on, on some of the episodes um, uh, 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 and, and take some of the learning and, and apply that and perhaps go back and listen. So we're going to have 10 episodes. Um, so the next episode is going to be all about the um, fantastic uh, time bank uh, kind of uh, social um, enterprise that is HexiTime and we're going to be speaking to a couple of HexiTime uh, users and then we're going to have a season finale um, kind of the second or third week in, in September it will be with a very special guest so um, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that but now it's time for my conversation with Athenia <music> So welcome back uh, to the QI Guy in Conversation with podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Athenia Varavirage. Have I said that properly? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good start. That's a good start. Thank you for, for, for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. Thanks, Jonathan. And, and I'm delighted to be joining the podcast myself. Uh, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts uh, before and it's, uh, it's great to actually meet you uh, today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere, as they say. <laughs> so this is uh, the second kind of conversation and a series of conversations around the Flow Coaching Academy. Mm -hmm. 
and it's kind of building on um, the the episode with uh, Tom and and Steve, obviously very central to developing that. But we're, I'm really keen to kind of understand people's experience of the Flow Coaching Academy and actually how that's really helped them in practice, um, and 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 what's what what's that allowed them to to deliver? But before we before we jump into that, um, I think yeah, it would be great to understand a wee bit about your background and 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 what you do for for um, a day job and um, maybe lead us into how you actually found about and found out and got involved in the Flow Coaching Academy. Um, sure. So I'm a diabetes doctor. I work in Derry, which is the westernmost city, I guess, in uh, the United Kingdom. So we're here in Northern Ireland, uh, the northwest corner. It's a beautiful part of the world, um, but it is uh, more than just a stone's throw away from the hubbub of uh, sort of, you know, uh, um, Central England or Scotland. Um, but I work here as a diabetes doctor primarily, but I'm a consultant physician. I wear a couple of other hats. I'm a foundation program director um, as well. Um, my 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 um, start of the journey, I guess, was as a consultant working in diabetes and just you know expanding the interface and influence I had within the uh, within that sphere. And about two or three years into my consultant job, I got the fantastic opportunity to go away and join the Scottish uh, Quality and Safety Fellowship uh, through NES Scotland. So that was my first dip in through to quality improvement and. It was fantastic. I did a little project on young people's diabetes care. But from that, uh, I was um, uh, lucky enough to have as my mentor, Anne Kilgallen, who was at that point uh, the deputy chief medical officer in Northern Ireland. Anne's got a massive uh, legacy in quality improvement. And um, the year after my Scottish fellowship, which was in 2017, Anne became our uh, chief executive in the Western Trust. In, in, in the trust that I work in. And a couple of conversations into that, it was actually Anne who brought through the idea of Flow Coaching Academy and potentially the trust participating in it. Um, and uh, while initially we were all a little bit um, anxious that whether it, the trust was in the right space to be moving on to working at a meso system level, which is what flow really is, rather than working within um, individual teams or individual programs or individual sort of microsystem level going at a pathway level, we sort of felt, well, we need to stretch ourselves and take the plunge. And we're so glad as an organization, I think that's happened. Um, and I was delighted to be part of that uh, initial interview panel and, um, you know, pitching our trust as a potential flow coaching academy and, and, and working through that. And that kind of was was the story behind how I am currently uh, <laughs> a flow coach, uh, coaching uh, a diabetes big room at present. Oh, and we'll go on to we we'll the big room in uh, in a minute. I'm I'm loving the big room. I I, I love uh, the stories I'm hearing about it so far. So that's interesting. I didn't know you were actually a a, a fellow, an SQS fellow. Um, Certainly am. Yeah, cohort yeah. nine. <laughs> wow, wow. So that's uh, that's something I've learned today, and that that's that's fantastic. And we'll maybe pick up on how um, the fellowship and and the kind of flow coaching approach actually complement um one another because I think I think they definitely do. But you know how how did um 
getting involved in the Flow Coaching Academy benefit you and, and what kind of uh, pathways did you start to kind of apply that methodology to? Um, so for me personally, it's been uh, fantastic working with a frontline team that I'm a part of, but not just working within a sort of a uni professional or only the diabetes team. Uh, within the coaching big room as such, we work across a multi-professional team, but more importantly, it's actually brought um, that that uh, sort of holy grail of quality improvement, which is bringing the service user, the person who experiences care, right into the conversation and be a core authentic member of that conversation um so so that's one of the main ways it has influenced me but what has also happened is that methodology has sort of bubbled over into other aspects of our uh, own team working but mm -hmm. um uh, within the teams who have been looking in on how the uh, flow coaching methodology works we have about uh, three of the first big rooms that started in about 2018, uh, two of which are still ongoing. Uh, but the outcome from it and how that has helped a lot of patient pathways and patient experiences down the way, but also it has spawned further um, uh, uh, big rooms and, 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 and other pathways getting interested in the methodology because it takes a little bit of time. Good things come to those who wait and mm -hmm. wait patiently. The methodology certainly is not quick fix, sorted out, you know, it's not a task and a finish approach. It's very much about developing a profound understanding of exactly what the system is trying to tell you. It makes you listen whether you like it or not. Uh, and, and, and it's only after that then we can start, start getting our hands stuck in and making the change. And I think that's an important aspect to learn um, because patience and really listening to what the system is trying to tell you what the experience of people are trying to tell you and 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 really listening actively and 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 congruently with that is important before we can make sustainable changes down the line and there is perhaps a tendency within healthcare may i say that you want to move on and and get things sorted really mm -hmm. rapidly there's an you know, some of these problems that we're dealing with are wicked. They've been around for so long, but yet we go after rapid uh, uh, fixes and solutions and then come away disappointed. And we wonder why it was never sustainable. But, you know, there's something about actually taking that step back and pausing that. So for me, it is it's changed how I personally how I approach situations, how I approach problems, approach conversations even. Um, mm -hmm. And also in uh, I, I can see the the subtle influences that uh, the, the flow coaching methodology has created within the organization too. It's chipping away. I, I, I love that because I think that's when you kind of get involved in a kind of immersive learning experience, whether it's the fellowship or whether it's it's flow coaching academy, I think this, the the secret is that it not just gives you the tools to a, a, attack a wicked problem, as you said, but you start to see that that methodology and that approach bleeding into how you work and the conversations and, and the leadership um, as well. So you mentioned a couple of things there about obviously patient uh, patient experience and a, and a factor that I really love about the big room is that patient involvement and getting the patient in the big room. How how do you view um, the flow coaching approach of doing that? Uh, you know, 
in comparison to other QI approaches, because sometimes patient involvement and QI work can seem quite tokenistic, but this mm -hmm. seems like it's a step a step beyond that. What's your experience been with that? Um, so early early part of that, I had a bit of a mixed experience, um, and the, and and but as we matured through it, and I guess that sort of builds the confidence. And one of the things I like about the flu coaching um, methodology is that there is there is a nicely laid out roadmap. Mm -hmm. It's structured. And there isn't sort of a pressure to sort of get it done and get it move on. It's almost says, look, it's going to get you at least 12 to 18 months to get from point A to point B. And that takes away a lot of pressure. So you spend a lot of time just doing the, the five V's, you know, what is the value of your pathway? What, who are who wants to be involved, who does not want to be involved, but is really important. Uh, who are you keeping away unconsciously from being involved? So, you know, it, it takes you right down to that grassroots uh, exploration. And, and the one good thing, um, and I'm not sure there is not that much different between flow or other QI programs, um, apart from really the pace at which it moves. Now, mm -hmm. it, ma it makes it sound as if, gosh, it's really slow and it's laborious. It's not. It's a pace that is sustainable, mm -hmm. not just for the short term, but for a much longer term. So you can keep it going because it sets a habitual sort of, you know, weekly meeting, one hour, you know, that habituation is really important. But it also, there's a lot of, you know, usual tricks and, and tips to try and get patients to be more involved. So it's not prescriptive that this is how you have to do it. Um, it's, it's, it's very much about, well, what works for your cohort of people? Can you get people into that room? Um, can we do that virtually? Can we do that face? So we started face to face and then we have to eventually move virtually. So how did that work? Um, and then it's about, again, listening. Uh, a lot of our patients, when we asked them feedback, it was all very lovely feedback. And then we realized we're asking them when they're in the middle of their pregnancy. So mm -hmm. how does that power stream actually work? <laughs> Uh, it doesn't. So we then said, OK, let's change tack. Let's ask every mom who finishes the pathway with us because there's no more power equilibrium. Uh, you know, they've now completed their pathway. They have a baby in their hands. All mm -hmm. is done and they're now ready to say bye. That's the time to ask for the feedback. And we then got feedback in a semi-structure. It's almost like a narrative. Tell us about yourself. How did this go? What did you like? What did you not like? What would you have a change? And that's when literally the taps turned and we got so much information. But it also builds those patient stories, whether they're physical patients in the room or the patient's story in the room mm -hmm. or a patient's whole process of, you know, the, their pathway in the room. It builds that and it brings it. And I think that's where the coaching comes into its own. As a coach, my role is not to say this is what happens or that's what happens or this is right or that's right. My role really was to allow and create that environment for all of the different frontline workers to come together everyone who's been involved in the pathway to come together in a habitual fashion, but non-judgmental, open forum, no hierarchies. Everybody is as valued as the next person. Everybody's mm -hmm. view counts. And there are really lovely structures that are built in that just makes that feasible. You don't have to almost consciously create it. It's there as part of that framework. Uh, and when you introduce the patient stories in that already pre-prepared ground, 
I think that's 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 the real magic of it. And we got really lucky within our big room. Some of the mums were very happy to come back and do a couple of the design processes with us. Uh, we then started introducing things like video clinics and um, glucose monitoring devices and 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 just, you know, a lot of these moms, they have skills. I, you know, patients, service users have skills outside being a service mm-hmm. user. They're designers, oh, wow. they're teachers, they're professionals. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like tapping into that uh, was 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 a really great experience. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I'd imagine um, some of them might be a wee bit more realistic as well. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're talking about, you know, healthcare staff wanting that quick win and, and wanting it to happen um, right now, especially the, the higher up the hierarchy you go, um, they want they want results um, straight away. So, so what's the impact on on that approach for for staff? Because yeah, ab- absolutely, you know, changes. Uh, we're seeing lots of changes in the healthcare system just now, and some of those are are, are kind of rapid and enforced changes as, as we respond to the ongoing uh, pandemic. But how does that that more deliberate kind of, as you said, habitual approach that is more slower and, you know, this is going to take time. How does that land with, with staff? How does it impact their morale and, you know, their, their, their need to get involved in this? Are they kind of like, well, I don't fancy doing that for 18 months or are they quite happy? So there's a part that Flo calls preface which is even before you get into the, the, the improvement zone or the big room, there's a lot of preparatory phase. That's one bit that is so important, but I don't want to go back there because that was an anxiety filled <laughs> time because it's exactly what people came with going, oh, here's another fad. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it all come and go. We were there, there was so much skepticism and, and that was very authentic because people are saturated with, you know, the newest gimmick or newest gadget or newest uh, approach. And so it was a very authentic expression from a group of people who really wanted to do better and do well, but were completely exhausted. Um, But there was almost this thing of, look, the expectation is that we come together and we have a conversation that whatever we, we work on will be democratic and you'll you'll pick what you want to work so there is so i think that was really difficult for a lot of the frontline staff to wrap their head around mm-hmm. i mean usually it's like here's the deadline here is the target that's what we're meeting and it's almost pre-done and pre-fabricated and you have to fit yourself and this one was almost no there is no pre um a, a, you know pre-expectation there is no uh no no target or line that we have to meet we're coming together to set our own target so it took a little bit of time and I do recall that that first six months was really certainly for me as a coach and a couple of the (laughs) senior leaders in the team it was a bit anxiety causing but we had a real you know with stellar support from our executive leaders whether it was the director of women and children's health the chief executive a lot of them dropped into the room and said no, we trust you guys. You got this. Whatever wherever you want to lead is where mm-hmm. we'll follow. And a lot of the focus came from the patients saying this, this works well or this doesn't work well. And 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 really, I think it was about took about six months before it just all started falling into place when mm-hmm. the staff actually truly started believing and patients also started believing, OK, you're not just doing this to get us to go from here to here. You're really getting us 
to chart out where we want to go as a service, what we want to see. And, and patients started, OK, you really are interested in where we want or what is what is relevant to us because we started asking them how long did you take to travel here how much distance mm -hmm. do you travel what matters to you the most which is again borrowed shamelessly from scotland and <laughs> um, you know and and and, so, so when, and i think you have to keep asking these questions and truly listening until trust develops and that is not quantifiable. I wish I had had some data and measurements to say, yeah. how do we monitor or how do we measure the trust that was there in June 2018 and now? Because mm -hmm. I think the trust in that process is such a difference. Right now, I don't have to push for people coming into the big room. They automatically turn up and they automatically have that conversation and it's become the way that things are. Um, but initially it was a huge challenge. And I think you had something really important there was that investment and that protection you got from senior staff, because I think that's that's so fundamental in, in, in creating the conditions for any change work is that you have that freedom, as you said, to explore and be anxious and, you know, rethink what you're doing in that first six months until it becomes clearer, perhaps, w w where you're going. And I, I suppose that's a lesson for anybody that's, that's, that's listening, uh, how important that is, that it's not just an empty signature on a piece of paper necessarily, but it's about about that conversation starter and, and how that conversation can can really help with the change. So, I mean, that's a wee bit about kind of what you've been doing and who you've been doing it with. But but let's let's get a wee bit more into the weeds um, and let's talk about some of your big room activities. So mm -hmm. you kind of alluded to having a few different big rooms um, and, and a few different subjects. But is, is there anyone in particular that, that you would want to share with us? Um, so the one that I am involved in depth with is the diabetes, gestation, di diabetes and pregnancy big room. The other big rooms that are really worthy of mention is the elective orthopedic care pathway big room that's uh, coached by a colleague of mine called Kathy Glass. Um, both of us are clinical coaches. Mm -hmm. um, the Flow Coaching Academy would in, usually involve a clinical coach and an improvement coach. An improvement coach is completely coming from a different um, background or a different mm -hmm. uh, area of expertise. Um, but the one thing that happens with Flow Coaching and also with many of the quality improvement programs is that people gain those skills, the, mm -hmm. it changes who they are. And what happens is that they find um, roles that fit them better or their their skills are needed in a different world. Uh, so by that, what I mean is both Kathy's co-coach uh, and my co-coach both went on to become, uh, one became a service manager and my co-coach became one of the directors and women in, 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 in adult uh, and learning disability. So we're now both solo coaches. Uh, but we're still working away. But I don't see see Kathy doesn't do that either. Neither of us see ourselves as solo coaches. We see ourselves as part of the whole team, mm -hmm. and it's one coaching the the other. So I think the the more congruent piece that I could really talk about is the diabetes in pregnancy big room, and um, but the work that's happening in Kathy's um, elective care orthopedic care pathway is something that's really fantastic. They've managed 
to cut down things like waiting time, length of stay after a procedure um, and the satisfaction that a person gets going through the pathway in a procedure. You know, these are these are things that are really important and affect large populations as well. Uh, abs absolutely. And, and they're going to be probably even more at the forefront of people's minds as we have large kind of elective backlogs and different mm -hmm. things building up. Uh, I think folk are going to be really interested in that flow and how they Access, safely yeah. manage that over over the next few years. So, uh, Athena, tell us then about this uh, diabetes big room. What, what exactly did you do? How did you do it? What kind of methodologies did you did you apply within within that big room? And, <laughs> and again, just to establish for folk listening, this is not necessarily a room of a certain size. It's just a room. People come together. I did make it's that a joke room. when I spoke to Tom. Yeah, it's it's a it's a room with a big heart uh, oh, and you know really big ambitions. But uh, we've done a big room in in a really small room. But currently our big room is on Zoom, so we do it from. <laughs> you know, I've done a big room for my car, I think. Once. So it really doesn't matter. You just have to bring your head to it and your heart to it. The rest is 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 it's it's all about people. That that people make the room, um, rather than the physical space. And um, although if you're interested to have a, a virtual visit into our big room, I can share with you a YouTube video that we made um, as part of our um, BMJ um, awards. Uh, so we competed against uh, the category of innovation and quality improvement last year. And very proudly, I can share that the team won the uh, award for innovation and quality improvement last year. And one of the ways that we had to showcase our work was to produce a 10 minute video. Um, so I'm happy to share that with you, Jonathan, if yeah, you we'll, want to add that as a link. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes so folk can access it. Yeah, in, in, in a short, the Diabetes Big Room really looks at the pathway of a woman from conception until postnatal. We were doing really great from safety outcomes and we've been monitoring things like, you know, difficult births, surgical births, you know, neonatal admissions, birth weight of the baby. These are really accessible clinical markers that can tell us whether the service is running safe. So we were doing really well in that, but we were getting hammered, like literally hammered with the frequency or the incidence of gestational diabetes as a condition. Whole of UK incidence about 5%. We had close to double or three times that in our corner wow. of the population. More than half of the women who were diagnosed with gestational diabetes were obese. Not just that that was the only reason. There was a lot of it, which was family history, ethnicity, previous gestational diabetes. But um, the crux of it was why we were extremely proud of the safe outcomes we were really not offering the best experience for women and um, one of the women and I keep going back to the story Laura who had to travel you know three buses 60 miles three hours one way and and and, and back again in order for a 10 minute appointment that is not value for her mm -hmm. time and we thought no, this is this can't be right we need to do something about it patients were waiting two hours three hours in the clinic room that's awful and those were the things that we set about because they were the stuff that mattered to the women and we introduced um the change ideas were actually looking back they were like oh, duh, that, that's exactly what you should have done it was it was so 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 obvious but I am glad we took the time we got to get there because our change ideas have stuck and they've now become standardised rather than just 
PDSAs, they become standardized cycles. And um, so we did video clinics from Jan 2019. So that was a full year before COVID. Yeah, wow. Uh, we used remote glucose monitoring, which has reduced the number of face-to-face visits. So, you know, um, the, the girl that I mentioned, Laura, she doesn't have to take three buses. She does not have to travel 120 miles or six hours in total. She could just be in her own space doing her work. And she can just come in for that clinic for 10 to, to 15 minutes and that's her done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she still gets what she wants out of the clinical interaction. They can still come in for all of their scan visits. In fact, even with obstetrics, they've been able to reduce the number of visits for mum. And this stood us really well when we came into COVID. Our service did not miss a step. We were still able to offer all of the services, albeit virtually, and to make that change was so easy because we were like, we've done it for a year. Mm-hmm. This is no problem. And we then moved on into even high-risk pregnancies like type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We were able to move that really, really quickly. And recently, we've been looking at some of the clinical data again beautifully sustained safe clinical outcomes so we can confidently say um, the big room work helped us be really confident as a service to deliver um, care in a particularly crucial time to a very vulnerable group of the population very safely and with clinical outcomes that are on par with a traditional clinic and I can really see us and actually the team would say this they can really see going back to the previous way. In fact, they're talking <laughs> about how could we even fine tune this better um, and make sure that this, so, and, and all of this came with investment in a coach, that's mm-hmm. it. We've not had extra staff. Um, we've probably had a little bit of investment in some of the gadgetry, like, you know, some video cameras and things like that. But mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, that was a pittance compared to what we were able to save. And I do have some of those numbers. Per pregnancy episode, we saved just under 500 quid. But for every wow. pregnancy, our outlay was actually only about 33 pounds per pregnancy. So, I mean, that's... That's cost effectiveness, that's resource effectiveness, but still keeping things safe and experiences optimal for our mums. Yeah, I, I mean, that that just sounds fantastic there. You're kind of hitting, you know, all of those those measures that we want, safe services, you know, clinically effective services. You're obviously clearly improving experience for for expectant mothers as well. And then actually this is this is helping you save some some money so return on investment and like you said that's all from you going on a couple of a couple of courses um <laughs> as as it were if you wanted to be simple about it, i'm sure there's more to it involved in that but um you know that 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 sounds fantastic so as we wrap up here there, there's one thing that i wanted to kind of pick up on you mentioned there this idea of a co-coach um so is that, I mean, is that a clinical coach, an improvement coach tackling the same problem? Is that how that 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 works? That's what I was kind of picking up from what you were saying. Yeah, I know, I, as I say, I'm a solo coach now, but that's only in the last year and a half or two years. The first uh, 12 months of it solid, we were a two, you know, two person team. It was a duo. Um, and I think if it did not start off like that in the early part, I would have mm. given up a long time. Right. <laughs> um, so that relationship with your coach, I think, is 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 um it's it's such a make or break for how things pan out. Because remember how I said the first six months was anxiety inducing? Because 
people that uh, you you wanted to bring together in order to formulate the 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 improvements or to attend to the problem that was facing all of us are unsure themselves. Mm-hmm. I am certainly not, you know, before flu coaching, I was not a qualified coach. This that wasn't my strong suit. I mean, I'm a diabetes doctor. That's what I do. Um, I'm not a coach. I I don't have the emotional maturity to be that way. <laughs> However, when you put two people together and the improvement coach comes from this idea of, you know, fresh eyes, you know, asking those important core questions which some of us take for granted and sometimes it's you know it's that woods for trees sort of thing they come to it with a, a completely new approach who and and ask um karen o'brien who's is the uh, who's my co-coach at that time say i'm gonna ask the stupid question now and you know it is not going to be a stupid question it's going to be a really profound question and um, that it has actually missed the rest of us in the room because we've been you know about to deep to our eyes in, in, in the problems for so many years that we've forgotten to, to look up from it. And I think that's the benefit of having your co-coach in there. Um, but also it's, you know, no two people are not going to be at different ends of the spec or, or no, that's the wrong way around. Two people are not going to be at the same low points all the time. Yeah. They are going to be, um, you know, someone's going to be able to pick the other person up and their complementary skills in there. There are going to be, you know, um, and, and also reading a room, coaching a room is a very new skill for, for people like me who are clinical coaches. And um, so having that relationship is so crucial and the capacity to bounce things off one another and, and, and keep ourselves in the role of being a coach. Because that is what I found personally difficult. I became the diabetes doctor. I became the clinical leader, which was not the role I was supposed to play in the big room. Now, <laughs> two or three years later, it's become easy because I don't get a word in edgeways these days. The team runs itself and, and they get doing and they often look back and say, is, is, do, 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 I think we should do a process map. Do you agree? And I go, absolutely. If you think it's a process map, that's exactly what it is. You don't have to do anything. So it runs itself. But at the early stages, you know, it, there was a lot of intense work uh, uh, that needed to happen. And and certainly two people was so much more um, uh, better than I think if I'd started off as a slow, solo coach, I would have yeah, I mean, that's my experience as well, um, is that when you put together that kind of improvement and that kind of clinical or subject matter expertise, you know, it's that Venn diagram. If those are two circles that overlap, where they overlap, that's that's where you get improvement. Um, so, yeah, I, I would totally advocate that that model. And it sounds it sounds like it's worked for you. Um you know, so well. So we'll absolutely put in the show notes the the the, the YouTube video of your award-winning big room and, and your innovative uh, service is there anything else you would like to to draw people's attention to is it um, do you have a twitter handle people could follow you um, more? yeah there is a flu coaching twitter handle and if uh, people want to connect uh, with the western trust or with me i'm just by my first name it's at athenia that's it um, uh, it's been it's been a really good afternoon chatting to you. You know, for for the hour, I've forgotten about COVID and all of that that's pressing <laughs> around. Uh, 
So that that's that's fantastic. And I think quality improvement changes people as they are and how they view their work. Um, and it's it's uh, I, I'm really privileged because I had the opportunity to do to not just go and network with one group of fantastic people in Scotland through the SQSF fellowship, but also through with Flu Academy and 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 just building that network as well and building those networks and just reconnecting with those networks as has become a sort of pick me up for me when things get really tough but it shows that we've got the the creative mm -hmm. ideas the resourcefulness within us it's about we can do the doing and the thinking and then change the doing at the same time there's something about and I think the biggest thing for me through flow is structure and mm -hmm. pace yeah the two together with all of the right ingredients making that environment, I think that's where the magic happens. Well, on that note, um, Athenia, thank you very much for taking the time to have a conversation with me today. Um, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you again to Athenia. That was a, a fantastic conversation. Um, talk about passion, um, talk about uh, excitement uh, and, and involvement in the, the kind of pursuit of quality within her um, service over in Derry. Again, links to some of the things we spoke about, including that, that video, um, the, the award-winning uh, video is going to be in the show notes as well as details of where and um, how you can follow Athenia on um, social media. Now that's not the last conversation I'm going to be having around about uh, the Flow Coaching Academy and the impact that the Flow Coaching Academy has had on the system. We are definitely going to be um, following up and having more conversations with folk who have been through that academy in season two. Thank you again for listening to the QI Guy and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. Um, tell us what you think on social media by following us on Twitter at the QI underscore guy, leaving us a comment, um, or why not um, tell us what you think about the podcast by uh, reviewing it wherever you find your podcasts. So remember, please subscribe and new episodes will always pop up in your preferred application. And until next time, take care.